Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is... To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Kenneth Womack, uh, explain to me sort of the progression of Mal Evans's duties on behalf of the band. He starts as a bouncer at the Cavern Club, gets to know him, becomes their driver and then bodyguard. Uh, at, at some point, he decides to quit his very solid job and go on the road with the Beatles permanently. It must have been a pretty spooky decision to make for him. It was uh, a monumental decision to make, if you think about it, and you put yourself back in the context of 1963. I mean, here he is. He has a job that promises a pension. He's the first uh, person to be educated in his family. He's got a car, a mortgage. You know, he's doing all of the the solidly middle-class things. He was socially mobile as far as the Evans family was concerned. And uh, this was a big deal to take a chance on a pop band. You know, there, there, was, no, it, there was no belief at all that a, that a pop band would be anything, 18 months and out at best. Um, and this was a band that was on the rise. They've had, by this point, Please Please Me and From Me to You when he had to make this decision. And they were shortly to release She Loved You, which, of course, was a game changer nationally in, in the U.K. But um, this was a big deal, and, and the family went into quite a bit of upheaval uh, over this issue. And it was really only his wife, Lily, who stood by him and, uh, and championed his cause. Nobody else thought it was a good idea, and I'm, I'm sure even in his heart, Mal had his own misgivings. Describe for me uh, the clo- how close he became to the Beatles, because, I mean, it it comes across in your book that they became pals. I mean, George Harrison is going to his house for dinner and he's going to George's. He travels extensively with McCartney. 
he's buddies with Ringo. I think he's a little intimidated by John, but it seemed like he really was part of the family. He's traveling with them. He's eating meals, staying in the same hotels. He was like one of them. He was, and he, he reveled in that. He, you know, drinks and meals for five. <laughs> was his favorite phrase because it, it meant he was one of the boys. You know, he grew up very awkwardly, even though he was athletic, as we talked about earlier. He's this big guy, really stood out. They called him Hippo when he was a kid, which, you know, he had to sort of in his mind make sense of. But, uh, yeah, he, he loved and adored the fact that they were that close. They were all bosom buddies for several years there as they traipsed around the world trying to consolidate their fame. Um, and those relationships were very important to him. Now, there was a flip side, right? I mean, the Beatles would call Mal and Neil Aspinall every name in the book. You know, they had to be there for all the rough stuff, too. And uh, these tours were by, by no means easy. And he's not making a ton of money. In fact, you know, it's pretty paltry when you look at it. Well, it's paltry compared to, say, what the Beatles were making. You know, they're making $6,000 a week or 6,000 pounds a week or whatever. And he, he's making 40 or 50 pounds. Um, when Brian Epstein, Epstein set everything up, though, he made sure Mal and Neil were getting way better than scale. In fact, um, at least in those initial years before inflation took too big a bite out of their money, Mal and Neil were doing really well, you know, in terms of you know, the population. Uh, describe the progression of his duties for them. So driver, bodyguard, I mean, he they became really dependent on him uh, to a large extent, not just to move the equipment, but to protect them, to get them from A to B, to, uh, from the venues to hotels, and, and then a whole bunch of other duties that develop later. Sure, and Mal was kind of a fixer. You know, um, one, one of uh, John Lennon's assistants told me that John boasted that Mal knew every police chief in every city in the world. You know, he knew how to, to keep things moving, which is essential in a, you know, a sort of a movable feast of a rock circus like that. Um, he was, he was essential uh, in, in that fashion. Um, but, you know, over the years, anything that was needed, uh, you know, that was Mal's job. Uh, Mal, uh, after they discovered marijuana with Bob Dylan in August 1964, that was the job, you know. Um, they, he and, he and Neil devised a plan by, by which they would take cigarette cartons, get rid of all the tobacco, put in the weeds, uh, reseal with cellophane the cartons, um, like they did in those days. And, um, away they'd go. They could move those through any country for the Beatles so they'd have their ready supply. Whatever they needed, Mal did. You described. Oh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go, no, I was, I, I was, you were on a great track, track. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. I just, uh, you know, when we, and we're doing our Beatles class right now here at Monmouth, and we're getting into those great late albums. In fact, tomorrow night is the White Album, so it's a big moment that all the students have been looking forward to. And that's when you can really see Mal in those post-touring years shine. You know, he's the reason they can stay up late working on a new track, or uh, he knows how to go wake up the person at the instrument store at 4 a.m. and say, John needs a new guitar, <laughs> you know, so... Mal was that guy, all jobs, uh, and no questions. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC 
was leading a secret double life. Is she breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. They, they came to abuse him a little bit. You, you have a section in the book where John Lennon calls at 3 a.m. and just says apples yeah. or socks. They, they do a little bit. Uh, I, I think that came with the job, though. You know, he signed up for that. He was there to serve their cause, and whatever that meant, uh, Mal was willing to do. Um, he would sometimes um, sacrifice his own ego. If they were fighting amongst themselves, he would get them to turn their ire onto him so that uh, they could work out whatever they were doing and, and, and move forward. He, he loved being around celebrities, rubbing elbows with the people who uh, came to meet the Beatles as they became bigger and bigger. He loved that stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, he did love it. Um, he was pretty starstruck. He's a little older than they are. He was five years older than John and Ringo, who were the oldest members of the band. Ringo still is. Hope he maintains after decades. Um, but Mal, Mal was older. He knew all the old movies. He was really tuned into uh, Hollywood culture, for example. Uh, he was a big reader. So all of this was like seeing 
you know, his celluloid dreams come to life when they would run around the world. You know, suddenly there's Burt Lancaster or Frank Sinatra or, or whomever. And uh, Mal had developed a great gift of gab. So he was also useful to them uh, when they would have these kinds of celebrity encounters because he could go and hang out with them, have a drink, talk to them, and maybe give the Beatles a break from having to be on all the time. When Beatlemania hits, uh, they become these international stars on a scale we can't even imagine. Suddenly, uh, women, girls, start throwing themselves at, at the, the band members, and in order to get to the band members, they do the same to the guys who are in the entourage, Val and Neil, right? That's right, and uh, <laughs> there's no doubt that uh, plenty of things went down there. Um, what, what really blew Mal away was that uh, often the young women would be accompanied by their mothers. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was, you know, it developed into these kind of awkward situations. And sometimes Mal had to be the guy who turned away the women, and got them out of there uh, before scandal might break out. Well, Las Vegas, for example, they came to Las Vegas. I've written about this. Uh, I've talked to, to people who are around, um, you know, and uh, written, written the stories about their uh, their concert stop here in Las Vegas. And I knew that they had stayed at the Sahara and uh, heard some general stories about what had happened behind the scenes, how they had slot machines in their hotel room because they couldn't go down to the casino. But uh, there are some stories that you tell in this book that I had not heard before about scandals that were narrowly averted. Sure. Um, young women shuttling around in elevators and, and this sort of thing. Um, and uh, worried parents, etc. Uh, it turns out possibly worried about nothing. But, um, you know, the Beatles really uh, were very fortunate. Um, now, they're no Led Zeppelin or The Who or some of these stories you'll hear about the 70s. It certainly was never of that level, uh, particularly in the case of Led Zeppelin, of lewdness. Um, but, you know, the Beatles were, they were, there were lots of comers, people coming for them all the time. And it would, it was creating all sorts of hazards. They're young guys. Uh, Mal has never seen, uh, people offer themselves in this way up so easily. Um, it was a strange place. Larry Kane, whom you probably have, uh, spoken to in the past, is particularly eloquent on this about how this circus-like atmosphere really kind of wrecks your psyche. You know, you start behaving in ways you might not normally, and uh, they they started finding themselves sort of going down this this road of the bacchanal. Um, John Lennon especially found it, uh, you know, thrilling on the one hand, but really dangerous on the other. Yeah. Uh, so Mal Evans, a, a, you know, he's he had some musical aspirations of his own at some point. It never really spoke about it until later in the book, but you know, he, he clearly had some thoughts that maybe he'd like to be a star at some point as well. And they, he actually collaborates with the Beatles on a number of songs. We played a couple of them here where he's, he's helping to perform or add to the sound on, on a couple of them. And I know he, there must be a longer list that you'd be aware of. He's also in their movies, right? That's right. You know, Mal was handy. Uh, in fact, that's the word Paul McCartney would often use. It was handy to have Mal around. He, you know, if you, you're in the middle of the night and you need somebody to hold down an organ note, there he is. Play the maracas, the harmonica. Um, you know, count out the measures as you played earlier in A Day in the Life. <laughs> he plays the alarm clock on that song. He's even there at the end banging the, the gigantic piano chord, you know. He, uh, he was there, available, competent. And, uh, you know, they had such a small group that they could trust. 
Um, they're putting out so much music, and their spark, their artistic spark, is just unmatched during that period. So to keep the train you know, moving forward with all of that great momentum, they might call on Mal or other folks who were part of that small entourage to come up with a lyric or uh, to participate or collaborate in some fashion. It was just a, a highly energetic space, uh, and Mal was, uh, like I said, he was a pretty well-read guy, pretty plugged in in terms of culture, and uh, he was there in a pinch, and they knew to take advantage of that. He does the hammer on an anvil in Maxwell Silver, Silver Hammer. That's him, right? <laughs> it isn't on the final recording. He actually ah. was uh, in a work stoppage. We could discuss later if you want. But sure. he plays it at Twickenham Studios uh, during the Get Back sessions in January 69. The really interesting part is not just that he plays the anvil, but that he knew how to go get one. <laughs> you know, Paul said, I need a, a hammer and an anvil, almost <laughs> like an afterthought. And uh, Mal whips out his Rolodex, which he kept with him everywhere. And he had, he knew that there was a theatrical props prop shop somewhere around there, a uh, store. And he went over and talked them into giving them his anvil. <laughs> and that's how that came about. So he's taking notes every step of the way on this stuff. Uh, t- describe how accurate it is, how useful it is. I know you said it needed a lot of organization, uh, but h- how good were, were the notes? How accurate? Wow, they're uh, stupendously accurate. You know, I mean, um, as, you know, scholars know, the most important uh, information you can get is contemporaneous. And here's Mal uh, taking notes and saving receipts and documents and uh, writing up his thoughts, for example, after meeting Elvis, you know, at length. So um, he was, it's incredibly valuable and vital kinds of information because it's firsthand and it's happening in the moment. So, you know, it, it tends to presuppose some of the other sort of excavation that uh, Beatles scholars have had to do over the years to try to figure out what happened. You know, but there's we have Mal telling us in real time exactly what transpired. He's taking photos, too, right? He took lots of photos. Yeah, the Beatles, you know, these young guys were excited by gadgets. And so they would get the latest and the greatest in terms of still and moving cameras and uh as they did they would pass on the other ones to mal and um in fact they encouraged him to take photos because you know somebody needed to document this strange thing that was taking place they all recognized that it was you know really big and and uh otherworldly this kind of fame they were experiencing and that kind of fell on the shoulders of mal it was george harrison who said look you know <laughs> You know, we only pay you a certain amount. If you want to sell photos, we don't care. And he did a few times to magazines like, I believe, 16 Magazine in the United States. But, um, yeah, they absolutely encouraged him to take photos. He went from being kind of an okay photographer, uh, sometimes with maybe a finger in front of the lens, uh, a little shaky, to pretty competent. And, of course, sometimes he's the only person there to document something uh, photographically. Can you imagine what his level of access would have been would be worth today if the Beatles were at their height now? I mean, you know, just a, a, a tip here or there where they were going to stay or uh, who they were with or a photo or two. My gosh. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mal probably would never have allowed himself to exploit them in that way. But you're right. I mean, it would be worth a fortune. Um, he was very careful, uh, particularly as Beatlemania uh, became more omnipresent, even 
even a little violent and dangerous in 65 and 66. He was so concerned about their safety. You know, there was, there was a lot of frivolity in 1964. You mentioned Las Vegas, but less so by the time they get to 65 and 66. I mean, they are, um, as you suggested, they're, they're pinned up in, in hotel rooms. They really aren't seeing any of the cities they go to. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of danger. I mean, a lot of cities, uh, their police forces aren't really coming out in mass. You know, they might send two constables when they needed to send 200, you know, yeah. uh, to help protect them. So it was pretty harrowing, but, um, you know, a- absolutely Mao was essential in, in keeping that, that train moving forward. And of course there was racial strife in the U S uh, during the uh, tours and, uh, you know, uh, 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 segregation that that made the band uncomfortable there was the john lennon's infamous comment about being more popular than jesus that people were started to burn their records i mean there was a, a lot of risky situations they got themselves into they really did and, and john would call that the jesus christ tour in 1966 which would be the last beatles tour um and it did get pretty harrowing you know there was at one point they were in memphis and somebody threw firecrackers on the stage you know and they thought which one of us has been shot, right? Uh, or, you know, the, the KKK would march outside of, you know, their concerts. It was really getting out of hand, and, and they knew better. They knew that the better work that they were doing was always going to be in the studio, um, as opposed to those circus-like concerts. They'd really begun to have enough, but it, it truly was dangerous, and, and Mal recognized that he was outnumbered in terms of trying to protect them. I, I can imagine, you know, fans were disappointed that they stopped touring, but it was obviously a good decision on their part. They could concentrate on producing really great records, and, uh, you know, they, they're performing in these concerts and can't even hear themselves, and nobody in the audience can hear them play either, so don't blame them for that. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. 
You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.